Coming up on episode 326 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Ford F-250 Super Duty, the Kia EV6, a new Porsche Panamera, a one-make series for the Hyundai Ioniq 5N. Would you buy your car from Amazon? Is Magna going to develop the next Scout for EV for Volkswagen? Cruise is scaling way back. All that and more coming up next. This is episode 326 of Wheel Bearings. I am Sam of Wheel Sandwich from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Roberto Baldwin from SAE International. And Nicole is off um, beginning a, an extended uh, vacation trek uh, with her husband, Russ, in, in Europe. Um, and unfortunately, our, our usual fill-ins, neither, uh, Nicole, or neither Stephanie or uh, Tanya were available today either. So it's just us, just the guys. Just got, the guys. Yeah, lots of lots of topics today. Um, so what have you been what have you been driving? So I have been driving um, something. Uh, I mean, I'm mostly I've driven most of them at this point, <laughs> but I've been driving the 2023 EV6 GT line rear wheel drive. Uh, so not so quite a long, GT. So not a, quite a G. This is the thing that's this is the confusing thing with the GT line, is that Kia has. The uh, the GT, the EV6 GT, which is a little, you know, sort of sports car-ish thing. And they have the GT line. Now, clearly they knew the GT was coming. <laughs> it wasn't just like one morning they woke up, make a GT. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. So there, there's that. So it's a little confusing. The GT is not... The GT and the GT line are two completely, are not completely different, but two uh, uh, different trim levels. Um, it doesn't make sense. They could have called it something else, but they didn't. Um, anyway, uh, suffice to say, I did not drive the super crazy fast uh, Kia EV6 GT this week. I drove the regular, just EV, regular EV fast uh, Kia EV6 that just happens to have some fancy bits added on top of it like let's see what you get with the gt line uh <clears throat> surround sound view blind spot power sunroof uh exterior and interior styling pop-up outside automatic pop-up outside door handles augmented reality head-up display remote parking eh, it's just a bunch of stuff that you probably don't really need to be honest uh <laughs> i guess highway driving assist too and I mean that's nice if you're if you're the kind of person who gets stuck in traffic a lot. Uh, this is the rear wheel drive version, so uh, typically that means um, for Kia uh, more range. This has a range of 310 miles, which is a lot of range. I have not had an opportunity because it's the holidays uh, to do a uh, um, a range run on this vehicle. But judging on literally every other Kia EV that I've driven, I'm going to say. Yeah, they probably hit 310 miles. Uh, <laughs> at least. Uh, maybe more. At least. Yeah, probably more. Um, I've been driving around. Um, it is rear-wheel drive, which, you know, is cool because if you click – and now I'm not saying you should do this, but if you click and hold on the um, – the uh, what do you call it? I don't know. why I can never remember. The on-off on button? The stop-start no, button? No, the safety that keeps you from sliding off the road and dying. Oh, <laughs> the stability <laughs> control. 
<laughs> the stability control. If you click and hold on stability control, it turns off all the things. So it doesn't have a drift button like the GT, but you can't get those back wheels, uh, just the, those rear tires to to break loose a little bit. Um, yeah, well, I not mean, that you know, not I mean, that the, you the, should. The the GT is all wheel drive, so you know it's inherently a little bit harder to drift than an, than a rear wheel drive car. So you know, if you got the rear drive, you know, you don't really need the drift Ta-da. button. Yeah, you don't need a drift button. So uh, I've been driving around for you know a week. Um, doing holiday things, not participating in Black Friday, if I could help it. Um, except it turns out Black Friday is like a whole weekend now. Like I went to the store yesterday. It's more, to pick it's more like, stuff. A, like a month and a half. Yeah, it just keeps we going. It never ends. Black Friday ads like in the middle of October, I think before Halloween. So I went, I went to the store yesterday and it was just a lot of people. And I was like, what happened? I thought this was supposed to be over. That's why I'm out here in the world. <laughs> <laughs> this sucks. Um, Anyway, it's a 77.4 kilowatt hour lithium-ion battery. Um, you have uh, 225 uh, horsepower from that rear uh, engine. More than enough. I mean, it doesn't have obviously it doesn't have a kick of the all-wheel drive or the GT. Um, but I'm going to tell you that's clearly way more than, than than you probably. All that extra stuff is is fun and great, and let's have a let's have a good old time. But for the most part, in your daily life, you're not going to need that. It has 258 uh, pound-feet of torque, which is also, you know, adequate for a vehicle this size, and it has a lot of room. You know, it's the, you know the, the, that that's how they that's how they get you with the uh, with these EVs. Is you get inside and you're like, oh, just you know, for the those that are are built as EVs, um, some of the ones that are sort of uh, half EV, half gas car, like the um, the i4. And that's that's a uh, you get in it. If it feels like the gas vehicle, but then it drives like an EV. Which, by the way, the i4 is great because someone asked us about it, and I just want to remind everybody it's still great. Um, yeah, EV6 GT. Uh, this one starts at fifty-two thousand nine hundred dollars, and then they threw a bunch of uh, other bits on there, um, <clears throat> floor mats, whatnot, and it came out to fifty-four thousand sixty-nine thousand. <clears throat> it's fifty-four thousand six hundred ninety dollars. Uh, sorry, I have uh, some phlegm or something in my throat. And uh, yeah, now if you just go out and buy yourself, if you just go to Kia, um, you can get the Wind, which is the the starting uh, EV6. And the Wind starts at like rear-wheel drive, starts at 42000 So this is $42,600. But that's with so the smaller it, battery, right? It has a smaller battery, yes. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm sorry. It's not the wind. The light wind is the mid mid range. Yeah. So the light has a has a has a a smaller battery. Um, 232 miles of range. Um, if you get the light long range all wheel drive, um, that has 282 miles of range. That one starts at 49,850. Um, <clears throat> whoops, that's the all wheel drive. Sorry, 45,000 for 310 miles of range. Um, if you're looking and you're like, I just, I really need range for whatever region reason. And you don't have to worry about snow or anything like that. And you, you'd like a rear wheel drive vehicle. The light long range rear wheel drive is probably the way to go. You're going to save yourself about uh, $7,000. Um, if you want all wheel drive, you know, it's about $4,000 more and, but the range only goes down to 282. And so that's actually kind of good. So, you know the light is sort of the, sort of the the if you if you're just kind of 
I just need an EV. It doesn't need to be fancy. That's kind of your jam. Um, it's still, still, it's still a stylish looking car. Yeah, it's still, it looks exactly the same. They all yeah. have a 100 volt uh, DC fast charging, which charges at, what is it now, 240 something? It's it's so hard to get Kia, nailed Kia and, and Hyundai down on their act, uh, actual charge rates. It's above 200. I think I've gotten 229 or 237 or something. I've gotten, I think, as much as 246. All right, uh, so let's say 240. Yeah, yeah, see, so it's somewhere, somewhere in the 230 to 240 range. Assuming, of course, that you can find a fully functional <laughs> CCS 350, yeah, 350 kilowatt charger. Yeah, so I, I there's a new one near my house. There's a new EVgo station uh, set up with a bunch of 350s. So I've been running this uh, this EV6 down, and I want to get down to about 20%. So I'm going to go run some more errands today, um, and then take it over there and see how 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 quick this puppy works. And if it doesn't work that quickly, then I mean that's fine, I guess. That's just how life. <laughs> I mean, it shouldn't be fine. It should be, you know, I if 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 I went to buy a burger and it's, it's a quarter pounder and then the burger was less than a quarter pound, it was like an eighth pound. And they're like, well, that's just how it works today. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah, my my friend, uh, Mark Phelan, who's the uh, auto critic for the Detroit Free Press, he's been driving, uh, looks like a, a BMW, probably an i5 or an i4 uh, this past week. And he's been posting on threads uh, his complaints uh, about using uh, a new EVgo charger somewhere here in the Detroit area. And uh, he had he had one the other day. There's a lot to love about electric vehicles, but nothing to like about the US DC fast charging network. I stood in uh, cold rain for 10 minutes for EVgo network uh, customer uh. service next to another charger that's been down for at least three days. The rep was pleasant, but couldn't reset either. She directed me to a neighboring, much slower charger. And this is no way to run a transportation network. And yeah, he, he had a couple other posts, you know, similar challenges. You know, I had one uh, um, 350 kilowatt charger that stopped working after eight minutes, uh, eight minutes after walking away to buy groceries. Of course, your app didn't tell me. And of course, customer service couldn't help when I called from inside the grocery store. You know, I I ran into uh, one of our contacts from Electrify America in LA last week, mm-hmm. and you know he said they they've been doing a lot. They're they're going to be making some announce. They're planning to make some announcements soon about what they're doing. But you know, all all of these companies need to do a much much better job. And this kind of poor performance of their chargers. This is why everybody is doing deals with Tesla to use the supercharger network. And hopefully, you know, when Tesla is actually supporting all of these other brands of vehicles, they remain as reliable as they have been uh, because, you know, a lot of the issues are often software problems. And there's no guarantee that when Tesla is trying to support vehicles from 20 different automakers that that their chargers will remain as reliable, but hopefully they will. Yeah, you're talking, you know, essentially uh, a walled garden, and now they have to go at scale. Um, But, you know, I did use the Magic Dock with with an IX, um, I don't know, whenever they opened the, 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 like, four (laughs) charging charging stations around the world that have the Magic Dock. I think they're up to about 20 now. I was looking at the app last week, and there's, there's a few more scattered around the country now. All right, I'll look around and see if there's any near here. Um, but it worked fine. The only my, the only issue I had is I didn't have a, a um, 
a billing uh i didn't have a card on there so i had to like put a credit card on my into the app so they could bill me for the uh charging station and it was like 10 cents more than the ea charger that i stopped at about an hour earlier just because i didn't want to get all the way up it's in the you know up in the mountains up on the way to Lake Tahoe. And I didn't want to get up on the way to Lake Tahoe and then like, oh, it doesn't work at all. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> so, you know, I, I hedged my bets, but it worked great. You just plugged it in and it worked. And then it was like, all right, well, <clears throat> hopefully it can do that at scale with multiple uh, vehicles. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll try. I'm going to try the CV Go um, today. So fingers crossed. But yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's the disappointing is not even a strong enough word for, for what's been happening. And like, we're making an announcement. Announcements don't mean anything because they've yeah. all been making announcements. It doesn't, it, that doesn't fix things. It's like saying, I'm going to clean my garage. I've been <laughs> saying that for weeks. Well, <laughs> it's I've not been clean. saying it for years. Yeah. I'm going to put up some, uh, some, some new cabinets in my garage. They're in the box still. It's been three weeks, Robbie. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh all right. Anything else on the EV6? Uh, you know, it's for the, you know, it's just the EV. The Hyundai Motor Group's just been killing it. I mean, we, I think, I feel like a broken record at this point when we're talking about this. It's, it's a great little car. It's fun to drive around. I'm still not a fan of the fact that you have to push that little button to, like, go from temperature to, you know, adjusting the volume. This one has the update where it automatically goes back to climate controls, which is nice because that's, you know, and you can still do the volume on on the uh, mm-hmm. steering wheel, but you know the passengers like I want to turn down the the, the volume. Like hold on, let me show you how <clears throat> to turn down the volume in this vehicle. You see that button with the little arrow and the little fan? Yeah, that's a button. Yeah, that's a button. It it doesn't look like a button. It just looks <laughs> like a little. Press that, and then you can use this little knob on the left. Yeah. What? I'm like right now. If you use that little knob on the left, you're just going to adjust my temperature. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a dumb design, but. Um... It, it you know it over the that's like the only bad thing about this car yeah um, that's that's pretty much it i haven't had any other things was, i'm like boo er, car er, earlier in the week i was talking to a reporter uh for a story they were doing on uh ev sales yeah and you know one of one of the problems that we've got you know is the <laughs> much of the mainstream media has done a pretty bad job of actually reporting especially what's going on with EV sales. Um, oh, they just looked at two companies and they're like, well, everything's yeah, doomed. Yeah. G- GM and Ford announced that they're slowing down some of their investments. And so it's like, they assume that that means the whole industry is, is messed up and it's not true. Uh, yeah. The, first of all, you know, with a lot of the supply chain problems getting resolved, overall vehicle production is up significantly in 2023 compared to 2022 and sales are also up. Um, and you know, when I actually pulled out the numbers for 2021, 2022, 2023, the, uh, market share for EVs, uh, so far through the end of October of this year in the U S is like seven and a half percent, which compared to five and a half percent for all of 2022. Now through most of this year, the market share has remained relatively flat, but you know, in that seven to seven and a half percent range. But that also means you know, seven percent, seven and a half percent of a bigger pie. So yep. EV sales, you know, are up 
by like 20% overall for the year compared to last year. And we're, we're on track for our first year ever of over a million EV sales in the U.S. You know, it's already at like 920,000 through October. And so we're, we're definitely going to hit well over a million sales this year for the first time. So EVs are actually doing fine. The only, the only major <clears throat> auto baker that was down is Ford. You know, uh, you know, they had a variety of issues and, you know, sales of the, the lightning and the Mach-E are, are they're actually closer to flat. They're down a little bit, but not much. Uh, but their market share was down uh, of EVs. So, you know, EVs are doing just fine, but, you know, the, the um, uh, charging companies really need to get their act together and get this stuff resolved because what they've been doing is just, just miserable. It seems like, I mean, especially with Ford, you know, they say, oh, no, we can't build EV, we can't build EVs, we can't build our EV. Well, you keep fluctuating the price like a crazy person. And so now people who are going to buy an F-150 Lightning, they say fleet, especially fleet managers, when you go from 40 to 50,000 to 40 to 45, like it's just, that, that's not how you run a business if you're a fleet manager. You don't look at that and say, oh, well, it was 40, now it's 50. So do I just wait till it's 40? You know what? I'm just going to go buy a tr- the gas version. Well, and, and that, that's exactly <laughs> what what's happened with with Hertz and Tesla. You know, Hertz a couple of years ago announced they were going to buy a hundred thousand Teslas for their rental fleet. And this year, you know, in their their Q3 earnings report, they got slammed on the residual values of those Teslas because Tesla has dropped the price of those vehicles by over twenty percent this year. And so their their residual values plus their their repair costs have been significantly higher than for their gas fleet. Um, and so now they're slowing down. They're not buying as many Teslas because of, of all these other issues. You know, if you're buying, it's one thing if you're buying one car, if you're buying thousands of them, you know, or even hundreds of them, you know, you need some stability in the pricing, you know, to, to make sure that you're buying, you don't, you don't want to have to time when you make your purchases. You know, you, you, you want yeah. to purchase it when you need it, not not based on, you know, trying to trying to the pick just the right the right moment, <laughs> you know, when that price is going to be lower. It's yeah, kind the, of ridiculous the, on the whims of whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 sort of so, you you, you know, that that was a big market for the F-150 Lightning. And then suddenly you've sort of shot that you've sort of destroyed that by shooting yourself in the foot because you can't figure out how much your car truck's going to cost to make. All Which right, you know well, for the, at the time, yeah, whatever. Anyway, yeah. anyway, EVs—they're well, selling better than you think. Yes, they are. <laughs> that's, the, that's the long story short. Yeah. Uh, when I asked somebody at Hyundai, so yeah, everyone's kind of you know, how are you guys yeah. doing? Everyone's well, like, we're not making money, and they're like, yeah, Hyundai or somebody from Hyundai or Kia was like, and we're making money on our EVs. I don't know yeah, what they're doing. And, and and they're <laughs> Hyundai Motor Group between the three brands, Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis, is the second best second best selling EV total now. Uh, they're like eight, I think almost nine percent of all EVs are a Hyundai Motor Group EVs. Uh, number one is still Tesla, but their it's market share, well, the, yeah, but their their market share has dropped from 75% of all EVs in 2021 to 54% so far this year. And, Oof. you know, their sales are, are up, but it's, again, it's a smaller slice of a bigger pie. Yeah. And, you know, with all the other EVs coming to market, you know, everybody's you know, taking away market share from them. And it's, you know, that's, that situation is unlikely to change. Yeah. 54%. That's, 
plus yeah they yeah they're like oh no no one's buying evs I'm like have you looked at tesla and kia's numbers have you yeah. looked at the the bolt have you looked at the numbers yeah. for the bolt yeah, I mean, you know, even, selling it, if, the, the number one non e non Tesla EV selling in America, and they're like, you know, let's kill that thing. Yeah, <laughs> just but just uh, because we're losing money on them, you know, doesn't mean because, you got to kill it. If you could figure it out, yeah, come on. All right, um, I I had an F F series truck uh, this past week as well. Um, yeah, but it was not a Lightning. <laughs> um, it was uh, it was an F two fifty King Ranch. Um, man is this thing huge let me let me just say right off the bat if you're looking for a daily driver if you're not if you don't require something that can if you don't actually have a ranch yeah yeah if you don't have a ranch or you know you don't need to tow a twenty thousand pound trailer or tow you know three or four thousand or haul three or four thousand pounds of of mulch or topsoil in one go um don't buy one of these you know, if if you need a work truck, you know, if you need something to push a snowplow or pu- haul a huge trailer or anything like that, these are great. These are absolutely fantastic. But if you want something to go get groceries, don't buy a don't buy a Super Duty or any other heavy duty pickup because it's I, my it's last a Sunday. Lot. Last Sunday, my wife and I went to brunch downtown Ypsilanti, and trying to park this beast, you know, it's almost twenty one feet long. Yeah, this this and this one had the shorter bed. Yeah, so it was a crew cab, uh, but it had the the six and three quarter foot bed. You can also get it with an eight foot bed. And you know, so it's almost twenty one feet long. It's wide. It's very tall. Um, and trying to squeeze this into a standard parking space in a downtown area, just it's not not fun. Not fun at all. Um. But on the other hand, if you do need to haul a lot of stuff, you know, as a work truck, these these things are amazing. You know, all all of all of these these big trucks, you know, what they can do is quite remarkable. You know, when I did the the first drive program this summer out at the, the Ford uh, Michigan Proving Grounds, you know, we we had a chance to do some towing demos. You know, towing a forty thousand pound trailer with one of these things, and, and that was actually with the three fifty, but. I think the the two fifty um, that I had, I think uh, maxes out at about twenty two thousand pounds. But you know, a twenty two thousand pound trailer is that is a huge trailer. Um, the you can get the this truck with two different variants of the uh, the six point seven liter Power Stroke diesel. Uh, the standard version is four hundred and seventy five horsepower and a thousand and fifty foot pounds of torque. Or you can get the high output that add that bumps that up to 500 horsepower and 1,200 foot pounds of torque. Um, there's also two gas V8s, um, the 7.3 liter that they had in the previous generation, the Godzilla engine, and then a smaller displacement 6.8 that they added uh, for this year. Uh, so the 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 uh, Super Duties were redesigned this year for for 2023, and they're really impressive trucks and they've got a lot of cool technology on them. Like, you know, on the one fifties for a couple of years now, they've had these scales under the, uh, the bed and in the hitch or load sensors under there. So you can tell how much you're loading into the bed. So you don't overload it and, or, you know, so you're not overloading the hitch. Um, but the way they had it set up was the, the display for that was on the, the, the infotainment screen in the cab. 
Well, now on on these um, on the super duties, I'm I'm assuming they're I think they're adding this to the uh, to the refreshed 150s as well. Is in the tail light cluster. Now you get basically a meter. It's using the LEDs in the tail light cluster to give you a meter as you load it up, so you can tell from from outside as you're loading it how much you're putting into the bed, and uh, that's you know that's a really handy feature to have. You know they've got other things like. Uh, the um in the tailgate um you know if you have to have the tailgate down for something it, it, normally you know the rear the backup camera on a pickup truck is mounted in the top edge of the in the top of the tailgate you know so when the tailgate's closed you can see what's behind you but with the tailgate open you end up just seeing kind of under the, the back end of the truck or the ground uh, which is not very helpful so they added a second camera in the top edge of the tailgate. So when the tailgate is open, you can still see what's, you know, get that, that backup camera view. Um, and they've got all kinds of other cool technology on there. You know, most of which was not on this one, you know, but if you're, to, you know, if you're towing one of those big trailers um, and you still want to make use of things like the, um, the blind spot monitoring, you can get remote radar sensors that you can mount on your trailer that communicate with the uh, the system in the truck uh, to give you uh, the the um, the blind spot monitoring, even on a long trailer. And same with backup cameras and things like that. So there's all you know a lot of cool tech that they've built into this thing. And the King Ranch, of course, is one of the more luxurious trim levels. It's not the most luxurious. I think I think the uh, the top model is the the limited. Uh, so you can get up up to uh, uh, or sorry, platinum. Uh, yeah, the plat. Or no, limited. Limited is the top trim. Plat. So there's King Ranch, platinum, and then limited. Um, and the F two fifty limited starts at ninety seven thousand uh, dollars. A base F two fifty XL work truck starts about forty five thousand dollars. And you know that's for a regular cab with steel wheels and everything. Um, the King Ranch that I was driving starts at $77,000. And the one that I had was still was one of the pre-production ones that they had from the the media launch. And so the Monroney didn't have the final sticker price on there, but I, I built it out uh, pretty close to uh, uh, to what was uh, uh, what as close as I could get to what I was driving. And it came to a grand total of $94,885. Um, and, uh, uh, you want to take a guess at the destination charge on this? Ooh, 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 uh, 2,300. Not quite. It was, it was uh, only 1995. I'm a, a mere just shy of $2,000. It's a little bit. Well, it's, it's so it's a heavy truck. You got to move. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's Where big. Are they going to park heavy. it while they're, while they're moving it to your house? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they do have, um, even with these, uh, internal combustion trucks, even though these are not hybrid or, or electric, um, they do have pro power on board now on these, uh, but it's, it's two kilowatts, but you know, you, you get, uh, several, uh, I think you get like four, uh, 220 volt or, uh, one, 120 volt outlets in the, in the bed. Um, so you can power a bunch of stuff off of this, uh, for, for two kilowatts, um, and uh, on the King Ranch, you know, they, they, all, they like to talk about how, you know, uh, the, the owner of a business, 
you know, will buy a fleet of F-250s or 350s for the workers in the company. Uh, and then they'll buy something like a King Ranch or a Platinum or a Limited for themselves, uh, you know, or the or the owner of the ranch, you know, will do that. And this this is a very luxurious truck, you know, really nice leather interior, um, nice natural open pour wood. You got the the King Ranch brand, you know, uh, in, in the uh, in the seats and in the center armrest. Um, it, uh, this one has the the fully reclining front seats, you know, basically fold flat front seats. So if you need to take a nap uh, in the afternoon, you know, after, when you're you know getting tired of supervising your your ranch hands, you, know, you can put fold the seat back and take a nap back there. Oh, you uh, finally found a parking space after three days. Yeah, like I'm just gonna <laughs> sleep here. Exactly. Um, the uh, the Super Duties, um, rather than the uh, console mounted shifter they they have uh, a, a column mounted shifter you know traditional style for a truck um, but you don't get the uh, the at least on the uh, the king ranch you don't get the the fold out work table uh, because you know if you're driving the king ranch you're the boss so you don't you don't, have, you to don't have to do any work on the, the window <laughs> on, on the lesser trim levels you can get the fold out uh uh, work table or, or in the case of Nicole, you know, the cookie table, uh, for, uh, for these things. And this, because it's a column shift, you don't have, you don't have to bother folding down the, uh, the, 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 the transmission shifter on these things. So, you know, as a truck with a lot of capability, you know, these, these modern full-size trucks are, you know, heavy duty trucks are pretty amazing, you know, in terms of what they can do. Um, You've you've got they they also they they copied the uh, the bumper step that you have on the the GM trucks that GMs had for a while, but they also added another step up ahead of the rear wheel on the side of the bed, so you can step up use that to step up and reach in to grab things out of the bed of the truck. You know, hand, handy little features. You know, based on you know looking at what are the challenges that people that actually use these trucks face on a daily basis. Yeah. And so that was, you know, just little things like that. Little details are, are nice. Um, you know, again, you know, the, the person driving the King ranch, probably not going to care quite as much about that, but the, the, you know, the workers um, that are actually, you know, doing the stuff and, and using an XL or an XLT to do their jobs, they will appreciate these little details. Yeah. So uh, ninety five thousand dollars, twenty twenty four F two fifty King Ranch, um, and you know if you go for go for the uh, the limited, you know you can you can easily get it up well over a hundred grand, especially if you step up to a three fifty or a four fifty dually or something like that. You're definitely well into the six figures for one of these things. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you.
and exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Um, all right. Let's talk about some of the stuff that's going on this week. A um, couple of things first, uh, leftovers from the LA Auto Show that we didn't get to last week. Um, Hyundai at their press conference, um, they, they showed off the, the new Santa Fe, which we've talked about before, you know, which is a much very different looking Santa Fe from the previous generations, much blockier, chunkier looking than, than prior generations. Uh, but it's a, then they've shown it overseas over the last couple of months. But this was the first time they showed it live uh, in North America. And as part of unveiling it, they drove it out of a giant Amazon box. And the reason why they did that is because Hyundai's done a deal with Amazon so that starting in sometime in 2024, if you want to buy a Hyundai vehicle, new Hyundai vehicle, you can go shop for it on Amazon.com. There will have a, a Hyundai storefront on Amazon, and you can go in there and price it out, get all the information, configure it, um, you know, get it, get it just the way you want. Um, and then when you hit, you know, add to cart or and and buy, you know, buy now, um, then your order will get transmitted over to a local Hyundai dealer of your choice. And you'll be able to pick it up or in some cases even have it delivered by your Hyundai dealer. Um, what do you think? Would, would you buy, buy your new car through Amazon.com or would you rather go to a dealer? Well, I mean, the dealer's getting the money either way, Yeah, to be honest. Um, my only uh, question that doesn't seem to be answered in all of this is dealer markups. Because the dealer still has the power, so can they still mark it up? Can you still like, oh, I'm gonna buy this. You you price it out. It's it's say it's fifty two thousand, and then you go to like, I need to pick up dealer. And like, oh, now it's fifty eight thousand. <laughs> like, wait, what? Yeah, my my understanding is that they will the 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 price that they show you on there is the price it's gonna be. Um, but is it the price based on the already adding a markup because they look at the geographic area of where you're at anyway, and they're like, okay, this is what the markups are. Let's just add that already. Yeah, that's that's still unclear. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, if it's without the dealer markups, I'm like, woohoo, that's great. Yeah. If it is, then I'm, I'm fine. Whatever. I guess I'm, I'm buying socks, and I'm you know I can get a car. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, we're we're talking. You know, what would be funny is if they, uh, uh, if if they, uh, if you ordered a new Hyundai on Amazon.com, and they delivered it, you know, by Prime the next day, um, towing it to your house behind a Rivian deliver electric delivery truck. Oh yeah, <laughs> and they just leave it by your front door. They don't. Even, yeah, <laughs> they take a picture of it. <laughs> And then it shows up in your, it's in that, your email. That, that, that your, like plastic your, your, your new your new Ionic Five has been delivered. It's sitting on your porch. There's a picture of it. It's still in yeah. that little uh, that little bag. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Uh, How do they even get it up here? Yeah, so that's that's going to launch sometime in probably mid 2024. Still a lot of details to be worked out. Um, we'll have to see, you know, about things like markups, how that's going to work. Um, because that's, I mean, that's what really, when you look at people who, I just don't want to deal with markups. I'm like, well, there's Tesla and there's Polestar. Yeah. And Riv and Rivian. 
So there you go. <laughs> if like you know, you don't have to like shop around. You don't have to make sure you're getting ripped off in one way or another. Uh, yeah, it's that's and that's sad. That's that's the state of of buying a vehicle in the United States. Is you're like, well, I'm probably going to get ripped off, aren't I? Yep, probably. <sighs> well, at least if it's a popular vehicle, if it's in, if it's something in short supply. I, you know, HRV. My but, cousin got hit yeah. with a markup for the HRV. The HRV. <laughs> but you know, on on the other side, you know, the the flip side of that is that you know, for for years, you know, when we have when we've had more supply than demand, you know, that's when you've been able to negotiate. You know, it's 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 the the supply demand thing. You know, when there's more supply and less demand, the prices go down. And when it's the other way around, you know, these are these are private businesses, and. Even even Tesla, you know, despite you know making claims, you know that they don't negotiate on pricing and things like that, they regularly change their prices. You know, Go based on week. yeah, ba- based on on how sales are going. You know, if they're hitting their sales targets, you know, they'll keep prices the same or even raise them sometimes. And if sales are slowing down, they will drop prices. You know, we we talked about that earlier. You know, they've dropped prices on most of their models over twenty percent since the beginning of this year. And so, you know, you're, you're going to get, whether you're buying it from, um, from a Hyundai dealer or a Tesla dealer, you know, or, te- or directly from Tesla, if, if there's more demand than there is supply, you're going to end up paying. That's just, it's just the reality of a marketplace. And it's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. Yeah. But I, I mean, if I buy a PlayStation, no matter how many, PlayStation. <laughs> If I go to if I go to Best Buy, it's the same cost for the PlayStation. Well, that's true up to a point. That that but that assumes that Best Buy has any stock. You know, you know, and, I'd rather, and then, and yeah. then you got to if they don't, you got to buy it from a scalper, and then you can end up paying you know two or three times the price. But then you also have the the, the issue where people are they they uh, they've ordered a car, they told the car there's going to be this much, and then the car arrives, They're like yeah. oh yeah, it's twenty thousand dollars more, and you're like that yeah, that's that's wrong. You know, yeah. I mean, if, if, happened, if you it, if you sign a sales contract for a car to, at a particular price, and you place an order, then you know they should honor that price. It's just, uh, and then at the end of the day, the people are angry at the automaker. Yeah, it's not the automaker's fault that this this person yeah, they, decided to up charge you forty thousand dollars. Yeah, the manufacturer has limited control. I mean, they're trying to do stuff, but you know, there's only so much they can do because of the franchise yeah. laws. Yeah, but you know, even there. You know, we've seen Ford this year say, okay, well, we can't control what the dealers charge. We can't control dealers charging markups on Mavericks, but we can just raise our price, which is what they've done. You know, you can't buy a $20,000 Maverick anymore. The minimum starting price for a Maverick now is almost $24,000. You know, it's it's 20, 20% more than it you was. You can't get the hybrid the because it didn't, they didn't realize people would want it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hybrids account for 57% of, of Maverick sales this year. And, then they're and like, oh, you know, now the hybrid has gone from being the standard powertrain option to a $1,500 mark extra. So, you know, you, we, you know, for a while there, you know, OEMs could say, well, you know, we, we don't have any control of this, but you know, now they're taking control of it by just raising their own prices, raising the MSRP. Yeah. Uh, so well, they're, they're, Ford's, they're taking Ford's, that extra margin instead of the dealers. Ford's uh price, Changes have kind of bit them in the ass. <laughs> yeah, but the ah, least, lightning. <laughs> yeah, definitely on the lightning and the Mach E. Um, all right. Uh, the other interesting bit of news from Hyundai. Um, 
was uh, the night before the show. They had an event where they had the uh, um, the Hyundai Ionic 5N, uh, which they were showing in the U.S. for the first time. They've they've shown it overseas before in, the, in recent months. But uh, Till Wartenberg, who is the the new head, new vice president, and head of N Brand and Motorsport at Hyundai, uh, was there, and he was showing off the uh, the Ionic 5N. And after the the presentation, I was I chatted with him for a couple minutes. And one of the things that he had talked about during the the presentation was, you know, the importance of motorsport to the Hyundai brand. Uh, you know, they've gotten involved in in touring car racing and rally in, in the last decade, um, and you know, had more and more participation in motorsports. And so I asked him, you know, if motorsports is going to be so important for Hyundai going forward, you know, one of the challenges with a car like the Ionic 5N, which is at this point at least the the pillar of their performance strategy you know it's their their highest performance vehicle by fairly wide margin there's nowhere where you can race a car like that you know where you can race an, an ev uh like that there's no no classes for that and i asked him you know what about you know are you considering uh a one make series you know we've got one make series for a lot of other brands you know like Porsche and Ferrari and Lamborghini and and Ford's launching one for the Mustang Dark Horse uh, this year or in 2024. And there's lots of other one make series. Would you consider doing something like that for the Ionic 5N? And he just smiled and said, stay tuned. Oh, that means yes. Yeah. So <laughs> hopefully uh, that, that could be really interesting. You know, uh, a single make racing series, you know, support a support series for uh, you know, like the Michelin pilot challenge where they run the Elantra ends and they've been winning regularly with the Elantra end, you know, having a, a, a support race for that with the, um, the five end, the Ionic five end, um, that could be pretty cool. That'd be, that'd be dope. Everyone yeah. seems to love the five end. I, I haven't driven it, it yet. Yeah. Neither have I. It, it'll be interesting to see what it's like, you know, with the simulated shifting, simulated manual shifting and the engine sounds, you know, simulating the engine sounds, things like that. You know, they, they want to make it sound like a performance car and feel, you know, have the feel of a performance car um, rather than just being kind of antiseptic. Um, but, uh, you know, it's the, the, the problem is, you know, it's the sounds and the things that they're doing are not authentic to an electric vehicle. Yeah, you know, they're they're simulating, you know, things from an internal combustion vehicle, and then you know I asked them about that, and they said, yeah, but um, it, it, the the sound and the the feel, you know, those uh, those uh, you know torque blips when you shift and things like that, those are part of the feedback that a driver gets when they're driving fast. Um, you know, it's, it's part of knowing what the vehicle is doing, where it's at. And I think at least for now, you know, while people are transitioning from internal combustion vehicles, that's probably true because you do use more than just your eyes. You know, you use all your senses when you're driving fast. And I rarely look at the tack. Yeah. It's, I'm, it's when I'm it's driving, listening I, to the engine. It's all about listening. Yeah. Yeah. Listening and, and feeling for that change feeling, of acceleration yeah. as you shift and things like that. Um, and 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 you know feeling um you know getting that feeling uh you know as you're approaching the red line 
and you know your power you've gotten past your power peak and you know you're starting to you know, the acceleration is starting to taper off you know that's 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 your one of your signals that okay it's time to shift um and i guess the the question is you know once we have drivers that grow up just purely on evs that have never driven a an internal combustion vehicle with a, a conventional transmission you know will they still need that i don't yeah will it be a whir yeah that's my <laughs> that's my impression of evs with manual transmissions uh, i'm available for well. weddings and bar mitzvahs <laughs> You can even bring along a band. I can bring a band, but mostly I'm just going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for 90 minutes. 10 minutes will be my band. 80 minutes will be me. Going... <laughs> All right. Well, looking forward to trying out the uh, Ionic 5N sometime next year. Yeah, it should be awesome. Hopefully. All right. Speaking of high-performance vehicles that are uh, at least partially electrified, uh, there's a new generation of Porsche Panamera, third generation of the Panamera. Uh, it was announced this week. Um, it doesn't look dramatically different from the second-generation Panamera. Yeah, Which is, you know, to be honest, good. Yeah, <laughs> we don't want to, they, they've they've had their share of like to like okay, we got it, you got it, don't yeah. don't change it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the fir the first generation Panamera was a little funky looking, yeah, because one of the design briefs on the original Panamera was that Vendelin Vidiking, who was the CEO of Porsche at the time, um, he he stipulated that he had to be able to fit comfortably in the back seat, and he was six foot four. Um, so, you know, that's why you had that kind of humpback profile to the, the, the original yeah. Panamera. Um, but the second generation went much more coupe like, and is much, much sleeker design. And this one is pretty similar to that. Um, but the, uh, you know, one of the, the big changes, you know, ever, ever since the, the first gen Panamera they've had, they've offered a plug-in hybrid variant of it and actually, in the second and now the third generation, they've got multiple different plug-in hybrid variants. You can get it with a V6 or a V8 engine, um, different power levels. And the uh, the big change for the third generation is they've bumped up the size of the battery from 17.9 kilowatt hours to 25.9 kilowatt hours. So it's about a 40% bump in battery size. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and in the top, Panamera Turbo E-Hybrid. It now has 670 horsepower, 685 pound-feet of torque, which is, you know, that's that's kind of a similar ballpark to the, the BMW XM. Uh, and they, the outgoing Panamera, the, with the V6, it was rated at 19 miles of electric range, and the V8 was 17 miles of electric range. So, this one, this new one will probably be somewhere around 30 miles of electric range, which is pretty good for, you know, for a vehicle with this kind of performance. I've talked to Porsche about the Panamera and, and it's, and it's hybrid system. And they're like, it's not an efficiency play per se. It's not like you're going to get a lot of miles like a RAV4. It's a lot of, you're going to go be able to go real fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a performance hybrid, but yeah. still, you know, the 30 miles on your, in your, in your Panamera around town, just cruising yeah. is 
pretty, pretty it's, a, it's 187 horsepower electric motor uh with lots of torque um so when you plug it in you can drive around town without without using any gas you know do most of your daily driving and then when you need that performance it's there yeah i like the well i like the, i haven't driven this one but i like the second generation panamera i liked it more than i thought i would which i think everyone did i think everyone's like oh no here we go again and they're like oh <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, let's see. Uh, oh, Magna Steer um, has been selected by uh, Volkswagen to do the development work on the new Scout EVs on the uh, the pickup truck and the SUV. Uh, Good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Magna make, knows what they're doing. They know how to make cars. Yeah. And, you know, they've shown, you know, earlier this year, I went to a Magna event at the uh, Hollyoaks ORV Park uh, north of Detroit, and they were showing off, you know, their electric drive stuff in a Gladiator, a prototype Gladiator with their um, with their electric axles on there. And they also had a Sierra, four-wheel drive Sierra pickup. And so I'm, I'm guessing, you know, that a lot of that technology that we saw on those is probably going to make its way into these Scout vehicles. Um, what'll be interesting is whether they go with, um, solid axle design. Cause one of the things on the gladiator, they had, they had solid axles on that, or at least on, on the rear. I can't remember the front, the, uh, yeah, the front, the front axle was also a solid axle. Um, yeah. And usually for serious off-roading, you know, off-roaders like to have, uh, solid axles, for maximum articulation, uh, you know, and keeping the wheels in contact with the ground. And, um, you know, since Scout is kind of going after this Jeep Bronco market, I'll be really curious to see if they go the route that Rivian went with independent suspension all around and also Hummer, or if they go with the more traditional solid axle layout, uh, but, you know, electric. Hmm. That's a what toughie. You, what do you I'm think? Because really, I'm, I'm curious, like how like the average person who's driving, who's buying, like let's say a Wrangler, probably doesn't really know about the solid, doesn't, you know, solid axles. They're like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. That's the, but it's, it looks good on the, when you, when you can point at it and at a presentation, like they have to make a really, yeah. really big deal out of it in order for it to, to pay off because just added it on there. Most like, and again, the ninety-five percent of the people who buy this aren't going to take it off off-road. But I think you say, well, it's got a solid EV solid axle or whatever they want to call it. I can't think yeah. of anything witty <laughs> <laughs> for solid axle. The solid electrified axle. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, my guess is that VW VW Group probably wouldn't want to go that direction. Yeah, but, the group yeah, itself, but but you yeah, because they're creating this, you know, or reviving this brand, and it's going to be a separate brand, you know, and a and a separate platform, you know, they because they, you know, they're they're not just using you know same the same hardware that they're going to be using on all all the other group um, electric vehicles, you know, it's it's something distinct, and so they they might, you know, and especially also, because they're re reviving that Scout brand, you know, which was. You know, that was an off-road vehicle. 
It's also, I mean, it's run by Scott Keogh, who's just ready yeah. to party, really. Yeah, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> he's, ready. he's like, yeah, we're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a smart guy. I mean, he's he's a good smart marketer. Guy. He, he, knows, he knows what he's doing. And so I think, you know, by going after, you know, the people that remember the Scout brand, you know, the international Scout brand, I, I think they might just do that. So we'll see. Seems like something Scott would do. We got, we got a couple yeah. of years. Let's we got a couple of years to find out. Um. All right. Uh, next, cruise. We haven't talked about cruise in a few weeks. <laughs> why do you want the? Why do you want the? Uh, well, if we can help it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the CEO resigned. I'm just going to put yeah. air quotes around that. Yeah. Um. Because I don't think that per, I don't think there was a resignation without some like, hey, we wrote this letter for you about you to resign. <laughs> if you could just sign it really quick, that'd be awesome. <laughs> and we've we've um, we've already drafted a couple of tweets for you. Yeah, we'll we'll post. Yeah, them they're for all you. ready to go. Yeah, you're a rich man. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Kyle Vote, the um, the co-founder of Cruise uh, and CEO, and um, uh, who's the other guy? The other co-founder, uh, both resigned um, last week, and um, uh, the uh, head of engineering, Mo Elshanaway, um, is uh, is taking over as president and uh, CTO uh, of uh, of Cruise, and GM has put some, let's say, uh, some more adults back in the room uh, on the board. Uh, and in charge of policy at Cruise uh, in the past week or so. And Cruise, Cruise, ever since um, there was the, like just days after the last time I rode in a Cruise vehicle in uh, Austin uh, in late September, you know, we had this accident in, uh, in San Francisco where a pedestrian was struck by a human-driven vehicle, was thrown into the path of a Cruise vehicle, and then the Cruise vehicle ran over her. Um, and then continued to go for another 20 feet, um, trying to doing what it was programmed to do, which was pull over and come to a safe stop, but probably shouldn't have done that when there's somebody underneath the car. Yeah. Dragged them. Yeah. Um, so there's basically been a, a pretty fundamental change in strategy for cruise. I mean, part, I think a big part of this, and yeah, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people over the last couple of weeks about cruise. A big part of this, why this happened, and a lot of the other problems they've had in San Francisco is they've they've tried to expand too rapidly. Um, you know, ever since um, Dan Amon uh, left Cruise in 2021, and Kyle Vogt took over, took back the CEO position, um, they have expanded aggressively. Um, and at the time of the accident, they were running vehicles in ten different cities. So in, in the course of just over a year. They'd gone from one city, from San Francisco, to 10 different cities across the U.S., and they wanted to be in even more. Um, and they were they wanted to get their origin, purpose-built robo-taxis on the road. Uh, GM had apparently built somewhere between four and 500 of those over the course of this year while Oof. they were waiting for NHTSA to give approval to operate those on public roads because the origin doesn't have any traditional human controls and doesn't have things like mirrors and other things that, that a human driven vehicle needs, but you don't technically need for, for an AV. Um, and they um, GM stopped building those vehicles. And they've now said that 
they have no plans to build any more in 2024. Once, if and when Cruise does resume testing, they're going to focus on just one city again, go back to testing in one place and really try and sort out their safety issues and sort out all the problems before they, and then expand much more slowly than what they've done uh, over the last year. And I think that's, that's a good strategy. Well, I mean, we've both had conversations with Kyle Mm -hmm. and um, he is not a fan of pushback. (laughs) No. No. Of his narrative, that's that's then that's the nicest thing I can say, uh, is that or like, well, what about his? Yeah, the the immediate flood. I'm like, well, this is not going to end well, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you're you're building when you're building a company that has to be incredibly safe, and you're building a service that has to be incredibly safe, and your main concern is shareholder and scale. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be building that company. That's because you're you're talking, you know, you're putting lives. Like clearly, you're putting lives at risk on the road. Like just regular people, we're beta testing on the road. I'm like, I didn't sign anything for that. Yeah. And you know, there was a big push in California because there was a they're trying to push a law that you had to have safety drivers, and all these uh, AV companies were like, no, 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 we don't want to have safety drivers. We don't want to have safety drivers. You're 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 slowing down innovation i'm like how is having someone who's just there in case things go wrong slowing down innovation so it's it's a it's yeah none of that is based on you know a lot of this uh this push by av companies isn't based on safety it's based on okay we have all these shareholders who have given us money we have to show progress and unfortunately when you're talking about driving a car autonomously progress is going to be really really slow because you're trying to recreate how a human drives and better and as humans we have a lot of experience with everything and we we can we can make decisions without having you know a software update yeah. <laughs> or so it's it's super super difficult again i'm a big fan of avs once they actually are safe and they work on the road because there are a lot of people in the world who who, who can't drive or and there's a lot of people who don't need to drive like yeah there's a lot of potential societal benefits from yeah. automated driving technology but we have to do it right. Yeah, we have to do it right. And also, you know, just put more buses out there. All that money. Yeah. Think of all the bus lines and, and light rails we could have in these cities where they're they're running these things that would have gotten people places with just one driver with pulling, you know, 60, 80 people. Well, you know, one of the when I was in Korea in October, um, one of the people I spoke with was actually somebody um, fr- who works for the uh, public transit operator in Geneva, Switzerland. He was there at the same time. And the um, the reason he was there, you know, he's looking, they've been, the Geneva, Geneva public transit system has been testing uh, Navia shuttles for several years now. And they're fine, but they, you know, they have a lot of limitations. And, you know, w- one of the things that they're trying to address is they, they want to provide more service, better service to more people. And you can do that with buses, but, the the challenge is, you know, buses are large. And if you have a lot of buses that are carrying very few people, um, it becomes economically unviable. And so how do you provide service to more people in more places? You know, so there's a lot of routes where buses work great, you know, where you got, you know, a lot of people going in the same direction, same time. Bus is perfect solution for that. 
But what you what you really need to provide the best service to the most people is you need a mix of different kinds of vehicles. It's a last and, mile problem. Yeah. And so, you know, like in, in Geneva, you know, the in the the what's known as the Canton of Geneva, it's kind of like a county, you know, like a large county area. You know, outside the city of Geneva proper, you know, there's all these smaller towns and villages that they also have to provide service to. You know, people need to get into in and out of Geneva and things like that. And they need smaller vehicles for that. And one of the challenges that they have is just like we have here, here in the U.S. with with truck drivers is not enough people that actually want to drive trucks. And they don't have enough people that want to drive buses. The average age of their bus drivers in, in Switzerland is or in Europe is 50 years old. And they're getting older all the time. And they, they, they have a hard time recruiting younger people. And so to provide better service, you need more vehicles. But if you can't have drivers, how, how do you provide that service without drivers? And that's why they're looking at automation. Um, I'm curious if Geneva is like the problem in Geneva is also that it's incredibly expensive to be in Geneva. <laughs> Well, I bought a, that's, I had that's a, part I had it, yeah. rabbit for lunch once in Geneva, $120 <laughs> for lunch. But, you know, I mean, a lot, a lot of other cities too. I mean, you know, you look at San Francisco, yeah. you know, a lot of people that, um, you know, need to get in and out of San Francisco for jobs, uh, you know, or, or any other city really. And how do you provide service to the areas where, you know, there's fewer people that are going in the same direction. You might have lots of people, but they might be going in different directions. And so how do you provide robust service for all of those people? And so having smaller vehicles that are more flexible, you know, and then the other part, the other side of that is, you know, you don't have consistent demand from passengers all, all day long. And so you want to have, you want to have vehicles that you can also use to do other things like provide deliveries. And, um, you know, something like the cruise origin would have been a, a great solution for them. Um, yeah, there's there's but, so many there's last mile issues, there's mobility yeah. issues. Like I can't drive because of a mobility issue, but that doesn't mean I can walk twelve blocks to the bus stop either. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean if you're in a if you're in a wheelchair, you know it's it's a lot harder. You know, or even even if you're not in a chair, you know, if you have to use a walker. Um, so being able to pick up and drop people off, you know, close closer to where they are or where they need to be is important. And so that's that's why this technology is so important. But we need to do it right, and we need to have oversight. We can't we can't allow these companies to self certify. Yeah, no, this is definitely there needs to be some overlords who are yeah. because again, these are our lives. Yeah. Um. So if and when Cruise does come back, they'll be coming back a lot smaller. Um. Sticking with the bolts they have for now. Um and well, eventually they're going to run out of they're going to they're going to run out of bolts. <laughs> well, they have they have four hundred of them in their fleet, so right. they they don't need they don't need that many right now. That you know, they they want right. to get get their problems sorted out first before they transition to the origin. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh. Let's see. Oh, New Jersey. Uh. New Jersey's decided they're going to ban internal combustion engines. Um, which, you know, following a bunch of other states, which is great. Um, but, um, I had, uh, well, they're banning the sale of internal combustion engines. Just so yeah. people know that. Cause sometimes people are like, yes. I can't have my, you know, my Mustang GT. No, you can still have the you, you car just, that you bought. You just can't you just buy can't... new ICE vehicles. Yeah. But, um, New Jersey is the last state in the country, um, that does not allow people to pump their own gas. You have to have 
a gas station attendant to pump gas for you in New Jersey. Oh, because Oregon, Oregon just changed. Yeah, Oregon changed uh, just just like in the last couple of months. So you can pump your own gas in Oregon now. But uh, New Jersey's the last one. And I'm wondering, what are they going to do when they switch to EVs? Are are they going to have to have some an attendant there that, that plugs in your car for you? I mean, to be honest, having an attendant at an EV charging station is like one of the things I think that they should have had forever. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is broken. Let me fix this really quick. Hold on. Let me ch- plug in your EV. Yeah. Somebody, somebody that knows how to reset the charger, you know, how to do a control alt delete on the charger. Yeah. Did you just sit in a little box and wait all day? Draw. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Plug. So maybe it's not the worst idea in the world. Yeah. Have some. I. I. I don't know when I wrote this feels like a hundred years ago, but I wrote that like EV stations need to be better and it turned and and then a Mercedes built one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, their new station that they just opened up the first of their network in, uh, in Atlanta, uh, looks pretty slick. Yeah. I got an email that sounded like they wanted like someone wanted to be a fly out there like the day before to go see it. I'm like, uh, and then it was just the news. It was just the way it was just weird. <laughs> Yeah. The, the writing was just weird in the, the pitch. I'm like, uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, one of the big things that there's been a lot of talk about around EVs, uh, for years now is solid state batteries. Um, you know, the idea being that when, if we can get to replace the liquid electrolyte that's in the cells with some kind of solid material, the batteries become more durable, they become safer. Um, you know, you can't have short circuits when you got solid material around there instead of a liquid, um, and denser, uh, denser, better energy density, you know, some, some, a bunch of quicker chart, all the things, the energy density, all, all the things you want in a battery. So you could have, you could have a smaller battery, like less weight for the same range and it charges really quickly. It's yeah. the, it's the Holy grail, which is a, something you should never say about anything because it's, it's lazy writing, but <laughs> It's the holy grail. It's lazy podcasting. It's lazy but, podcasting. Sorry, everyone. But uh, yeah, so you know, Toyota in the last few years has been has looked like one of the potential leaders in this space. You know, they've been making some interesting claims that yeah, we're going to have solid state batteries coming pretty soon, um, and uh, they they have working prototypes. And you know, a lot of companies have built working prototypes of solid state batteries. Solid Power just delivered their first batch of cells to BMW of their uh, solid state cells. And um, there's, you know, there's others. QuantumScape is out there and a bunch of other companies. Uh, but now it looks like, you know, even Toyota um, is does not expect solid state batteries to be mainstream this decade, um, which is relatively consistent with what i've heard from a lot of companies you know most of them don't expect it till late 2020s yeah i mean the 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 joke is that solid state batteries is has been is always five years away it's been five years away for 15 years yeah just like fuel cells yeah we're five years away from it we almost got it this this is uh I've had I've had excited CEOs. I've had excited CEOs of automakers come up and talk to me about so I'm like, cool. I'm like, so you think yeah, yeah, we we're just I think we're gonna have in two or three years we're working with this one company and then you know, it doesn't quite work out. Yeah, so. when 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 I was at Nissan in uh, in October, um, you know, they, they were talking about their solid state batteries and they don't really expect them, you know, to be in any kind of volume till at least twenty seven, twenty eight time frame. 
Uh, and even that, you know, is probably fairly optimistic. Um, and Toyota is now saying that, yeah, we, we expect we'll only have enough solid state batteries for about 10,000 EVs in 2030, which is not great. Uh, I mean, what year is it now? <laughs> uh, almost, it's almost 2024. So we got six years. So it's six years, you know, so five years away. <laughs> Let's say if they can make, you know, a couple 30,000, 20,000 that they, they're on the road, that's progress, to be honest. And if it, it means we're going to get mass adoption or mass availability in 2033, 10 years from now, fine. <laughs> it still beats that 2035, you know, where everyone's, you know, people think the sky is going to fall. I'm like, it's a long way to 2035 for California, New Jersey, Washington, I think Virginia and a couple other states and, and Europe. So it's, you know, they're still doing a lot of crazy things with lithium to make that better. Um, but, you know, one day we'll get those solid state batteries. One day. One day Eventually. Soon. Eventually. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Fingers yeah. toast. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's talk about Tesla a bit. Oh, no. Um, yeah. Uh, back in May of 2016, there was the first known crash of a Tesla with autopilot. Um, and that was Joshua Brown. His car was an autopilot driving on a, on a, um, rural highway in, uh, Florida. Uh, and, um, it did not stop or even slow down when there was a truck turning left in front of him across the roadway and drove right under it. And if you haven't seen the photos, you can imagine what happened next. Um, then, um, in 2019, and there have been many other crashes, but in 2019, also in Florida, in Palm Beach County, Jeremy Banner was driving his Model 3 in a nearly identical crash. The, car, the truck was turning across the highway in front of him. The car was in autopilot, did not even slow down, sliced the top half off the car. Yeah. Um, and his, uh, his wife is uh, suing Tesla. Um, and this week, uh, a judge in Florida said the the uh, the suit against Tesla um, can go to trial. Uh, it's a product liability suit. The um, Palm Beach County judge, Reed Scott, ruled that there was reasonable evidence to conclude the Tesla owner and CEO, Elon Musk, and other company executives knew that the vehicle's autopilot system was defective. Um, but they continued to tout its capabilities and sell it anyway. And they continue to do that to this day, by the way, that, that last yeah. part was mine. Um, so um, this could potentially be one of the first product liability suits um, against autopilot that, you know, actually has a reasonable chance. Uh, we'll see, you know, one of the challenges with anybody trying to sue Tesla is, you know, if you read the terms and conditions for using autopilot or, or FSD, you know, it says the driver's responsible. The driver's always in charge. You know, you're supposed to supervise the system, keep your hands on the wheel, eyes on the road. And that's what happened in, in another recent case where a jury ruled in favor of Tesla that, um, you know, it was a wrongful death suit um, and said that, you know, driver's responsible. And so I'll be curious to see how this one plays out uh, because, you know, the, the, the weasel language in, in Tesla's marketing, you know, has always kind of saved them uh, in these cases. 
Yeah. Um, it isn't. It's. I mean, it would really hurts them is Elon Musk. Yeah. Because Elon Musk has said things that are are that 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 the marketing department, the sales department, you know, they don't say. And but he's there. He's essentially their advertiser. And so for years he's been saying things that were dangerous. I guess is the reckless. word. <laughs> reckless. Re- reckless is the the word I like to use. Reckless. Yeah. Reckless. Reckless. I, I you know when when I used to when when Tesla had a PR team. When I would get past Teslas and I'd review them, you know, any of these vehicles, I'd always make a make it a point in the videos to say there you cannot buy a self driving car. This is not a self driving car, and um, I had people on, at, at Tesla who were who would thank me for that because it helped them. Because yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's you know there's a lot of good people at Tesla that are trying to do the lots, right thing. Lots of just really smart, really nice, really good people who really believe in the the plan and that we're 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 helping reduce the um the impact of public of personal transportation to the planet we're helping reduce that that's what we're doing we're working to make better vehicles for the for you know for for a cleaner tomorrow there are people who are there they are still there because they still believe in that they believe in that and um you know, yeah, it's. I, I think when people assume that I hate Tesla, I I don't hate Tesla per se. I just don't feel happy. Yeah. <laughs> when I, when I, the CEO just goes on Twitter and just says probably some of the worst things you could say, and then he's you know, I just want an adult at Tesla. That's really all I want. I just want the him to to retire or to to to. Go do something else or get ousted by a board. I think I just want uh, a Tim Apple, <laughs> Tim, a Tim Cook ready. I wrote this article for TechCrunch. You can go read it. Uh, it was essentially that Tesla needs a Tim Cook, and they just need someone who can just go in, get the trains running on time. And I frankly, I still I think since he's busy with with Twitter, I think Tesla's probably doing better because he's not around. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like Michael he's, Scott. He's been preoccupied. <laughs> he's preoccupied, so the folks over there can do. Although the things they're they're starting to roll out version twelve of FSD now uh, to internal testers, and so uh, I don't know if that's much better. Well, I don't. Yeah, that whole thing is. I mean, that's an edict from the top. Yeah, which is really. I mean, I I just I don't know. Just you could just focus on EVs. Yeah. Just make the best darn EVs in the world and give us a dash cluster. I would rather have a dash cluster than FSD any day. <laughs> yep. Just give me a dash cluster. Um, some, a bit, you know, the seats in the back a bit more comfortable. The seats in the front, you know, a little bit more comfortable. Just scooch. And there you go. Make a wagon too. Why not? <laughs> or I can just go out and buy a Hyundai. And that's the crazy thing is I can just go out and buy a Hyundai, which is something you couldn't do before. I can go buy an EV6 if I want a yeah. EV wagon. Yep. All right. Well, sticking with Tesla, um, a couple of years ago, they started offering their own insurance because uh, it turns out, you know, if you've ever shopped for insurance for uh, for a Tesla, a lot of insurance companies charge a lot more to insure a Tesla than other vehicles uh, in large part because they, when they need repairs, they tend to be very expensive to repair um, because Tesla retains control of the parts supply, uh, especially for body work. 
Um, they have, you know, there's very limited places where you can get body work done on a Tesla if you have a, a crash or a fender bender. And they, they tend to be very costly to repair. And so insurance was was expensive. So Tesla decided to launch their own insurance program. And they started off, I think, just in California. And I think they're in about a dozen states now where you can buy your, your car insurance through Tesla, directly through Tesla. Um, but um, Reuters had a report this week that uh, I guess a lot of customers aren't really crazy about the Tesla insurance. One of the things that Tesla does, because they have all this information about your car, you know, that they're that they're gathering uh, about how you drive, where you drive and, and everything. One of the things that they can do, and to be fair, other automakers are trying to do the same thing. Um, you know, so they're, they're, they want to gather information. They've, insurance companies have always used demographic information uh about drivers and correlated that with what you know what drivers in the same demographic do their their, their risk profile you know so for example you know 16 year old males tend to have much higher insurance premiums than 16 year old females or they're crazy or 40 year old women yeah um yeah because they they tend to be more reckless um you know and with the sensors that we have on cars now and the fact that they're connected you know they're Insurer, insurers are able to get much more granular information about not just a specific demographic, but about individual drivers and your, and your behavior and other, you know, other companies like progressive and many other insurance companies now will offer you a dongle that you can plug into your OBD2 port that captures information about how frequently you hard accelerate or hard break and things like that. And it will, they will give you discounts on your insurance premiums. But up to this point, they've shied away from um, from charging you more if you had certain behaviors. Um, Tesla has not shied away from that. With their insurance program, they um, they calculate a safety score in real time as you drive, and your insurance premium can fluctuate from month to month. Uh, if your safety score goes up, your insurance premiums could go down. If your safety score goes down, your insurance premiums can go up, way, way up. Um, and uh, you know, they, one of the uh, things in this article here, uh, there was um, they talked to one customer uh, who had taken their car in for service at a Tesla service center, and um, the uh, the technician at the service center had taken the car out, you know, to test it after doing some work on it and had driven it quite aggressively, which caused their, that the owner's safety score to go down because while it knows, while the system knows, you know, how, uh, how each car, each individual car is being driven, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily really. know who's sitting behind the wheel when it's driven that way. Oh, womp, yeah. womp. And like, so, yeah, but you can't put it in, in service mode, I guess. I, I don't know. I'm not sure if there's a service mode or not. Well, that um, person didn't. How's that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but even even just, you know, for for normal driving, um, you know, the I guess the customer service from Tesla Insurance has not been great. Um, there's uh, talk they, in the story. They talk about uh, this one Tesla owner who bought a used Tesla, uh, bought a used Model S. Um got into a crash 
um, with autopilot engaged. Um, the uh, car started beeping and lurched left, striking a median and flipping over. Uh, he escaped through a window as the car filled with smoke. An ambulance rushed him to the hospital with back injuries that later required surgery. Uh, this guy was a former Green Beret. Um, and uh, he said, this is probably the second most traumatic thing I've gone through other than being in combat. Um, he said he had to wait seven months for payment on the totaled vehicle and still hasn't been compensated for more than $50,000 in medical expenses. So um, if you if you buy a Tesla, you may want to reconsider, you know, getting your yeah. insurance through Tesla. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I mean, insurance is never fun to deal with regardless. No. Like, we, we had a fender bender with the BRZ um, after we first got it. But, I mean, it wasn't fun, but they got it done in a timely fashion. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, most most insurance companies, you know, will pay you out fairly quickly. You know, if you if you you know, if your car is written off or or needs to be repaired, you know, it's usually a matter of days or at most a couple of weeks you know, to, to get a payout so that you can go and, you know, replace the vehicle. You know, if you if you're relying on that vehicle for transportation, you know, the, the last thing you want is to have to wait months, you know, especially if you're, if you just bought the vehicle and you're, you're still making payments on it, oh. to wait seven months to get, get a payout on that uh, before you can go buy another vehicle. That's, you know, that's not good. No. So, you know, you, like I said, you may want to shop elsewhere for your insurance. Uh, no, even though you may, you may end up paying higher insurance premiums, it might be worth it um, to, uh, to, to buy, you know, buy your insurance somewhere else. Yeah. yeah, and then the uh, final Tesla story is so uh, many Tesla stories. Yeah, so later this week, uh, on and it's it's Sunday, November twenty sixth, as we're recording this. Uh, on Thursday, I think the tw- the thirtieth, um, Tesla is supposed to hold an event at their Austin factory, uh, where they're supposed to do the first deliveries, first customer deliveries of Cybertrucks, and I think they're. I think the what they what I've heard is that they're going to deliver ten trucks on Thursday, um, and that may be all that get delivered for the remainder of this year. All um, you got to deliver is one by the end of the year. But a, a guy, GM, a guy in Vietnam can say that. <laughs> yep, a guy in Vietnam decided he didn't want to wait. Yeah, and so he built his own cyber truck out of wood. Yeah, yeah. this is pretty like cool. It, it's pretty cool. Splinterama, but still pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he did shellac it and everything, you know, sprayed it down with, you know, so hopefully, hopefully there's not, not too many splinters, but yeah, it's, it looks, yeah, it's, it's not full scale. Um, it is electric. Um, and looks like he built a, a, a little cyber quad for his kid as well, that, that rolls into the back. Uh, but I, I think this actually looks better than the stainless steel version. It does look better. I yeah. like this wood. They should have a wood wrap for the cyber truck. <laughs> if Elon Musk listens to this podcast. <laughs> well, you know what? Even if Tesla doesn't offer one, I'm sure that there's a some some place that will do a, a wood wrap yeah. for your for yeah. your cyber truck or any other car. I was just thinking about Elon Musk listening to this podcast every week. Yeah. <laughs> just uh, getting angry and angrier at us. Um I remember when I was uh, back in, I think 2007 or something, I was covering the uh, Woodward dream cruise when I was with Autoblog, And uh, 
walk, you know, walking around to the, the various areas where different brands had, uh, you know, where people were parking their vehicles. And there was a section in Birmingham, Michigan, where, you know, there was hundreds and hundreds of Fords parked there. And it was somebody that had a uh, cherry Ford Bronco. And when I say cherry Ford Bronco, I don't mean just one that was in immaculate condition. Like, and this was a first generation Bronco. I mean, it was literally made out of cherry wood, the whole wow. body. Yeah, it was it was gorgeous. I'll, I'll have to find it. Uh, but uh, this this thing was pretty amazing. But uh, this Cybertruck looks pretty cool as well, uh, and it's it's worth taking a few minutes. I think the the video is I think about eight minutes long. Um, you can see the whole process uh, the guy went through building this thing. You know, fabricating the frame and all the body panels and the seats and everything is made of wood um, except the tires. And of course, you know, the wiring and the electric motor mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, but it, it's fun. And then you see him driving it around and it's pretty cool. So as far as I can tell, we'll not pass any safety regulations. Um, no, no, Again, almost splinters, certainly splinters yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It, but you know, it doesn't look, it also doesn't look like it's got a powerful enough motor that, you know, it's going to be too much of a problem. Yeah, he's just cruising that thing around. <laughs> All right, let's answer a couple of listener questions. Uh, first up, Stephen Kimmel uh, wrote in, says, uh, saw this link in a recent Wall Street Journal article about uh, about how many car dealers are not interested in selling EVs. Looks like a very handy website for potential EV buyers to figure out where to start, especially the inexperienced. Uh, the site has good filter tools. They also offer a one-hour phone consultation for 149 bucks to discuss the buyer's use case and answer questions. And there's a link to a site called ev.guide, which I will include in the show notes. Uh, So if you're looking for, you know, a a first time buyer's guide for EVs and I checked it out, you can go through and pick, you know, different form factors and what kind of range and price and a whole bunch of other things. And it'll help you narrow down your search to figure out what is the right EV for, for your use case. So uh, thank you, Stephen, for sending that in. And then uh, uh, the other one is from C. Rose. um, And uh, I ask, um, so uh, hello, great, greatest podcasters ever. I have two questions. Number one, I have a Hyundai Kona EV lease coming up in August and thinking if the Volvo EX30 might be a good replacement. The number one issue which I have with my Kona is the back seat. Who would have thought? I can't put in an infant car seat (laughs) into the base without moving the front seat forward. Is the back seat of the EX30 bigger than that? And does the door open wider? Uh, Thinking I should put one, put down a deposit on one. Um, So I can definitely attest that uh, the back seat is bigger in the EX30 compared to the Kona. That's not hard to be honest as the owner of a Kona. I mean, it's great for if you put adults back there to cruise around town, but mostly we just have the dogs. It's really just for dogs who don't use, who don't put their feet down in the little wheel in the footwells. Yeah. I, you know, I, I drove the, uh, the EX 30 when I was in LA and, uh, you know, I set the front seat, you know, for my height, I'm about five eleven, uh, and then got in the back seat and I had, you know, it, it was, you know, not like the back seat of the uh, the F two fifty Super Duty, uh, but I had enough room. You know that I had clearance for my knees and for my head. Um, so you will definitely be able to get a kid's seat into the back of the EX thirty. Um, and the starting price of just thirty five thousand dollars. 
um, you know, it, it should actually be pretty good. And one of the things uh, that they, that Volvo will be doing with the EX30 is it will be available um, through care by Volvo, uh, or you can do a regular lease and they'll be passing through, even though it's not made and not assembled in North America, they'll, they're doing the, the commercial lease thing where they'll pass through the $7,500 tax credit. So if you decide to lease or, you know, do the care by Volvo subscription, um, you can get that, uh, uh, you'll get that fairly hefty discount on that. So that'll, that'll be a pretty good deal. Um, not sure about whether the door opens wider than the Kona. Uh, Try but to look I, at the doors. Yeah. Okay, here's a picture of a door open. It looks pretty wide. Yeah. It's, and it's a, it's a large enough door aperture that you, you know, you'll, you'll definitely be able to get your kids in and out uh, fairly easily. Just wander into a Volvo dealer with your kids thing. Like, hold on, I'm doing something. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if a Volvo dealer actually had some spare car seats in the back. You know, just that to, sounds like, yeah. just to show people, you know, here's how you install the car seat in this car. Uh, and, you know, you can try it out. But, you know, yeah, you, you, I'm sure they would not be too upset if you walked in with your car seat and said, hey, can I try this out in the EX30? Um, yeah, you because know, Volvo is all about the safety. So, yeah. That's our jam. All right. And the other question was uh, trying to import my mother's 2018 Prius from Canada after she got a new one and sold this one to me. But Toyota Canada will not provide me with a compliance letter, which is required to import and title it. Uh, My question is, why wouldn't they provide it? Uh, Are they trying to avoid Americans from buying Canadian trims? Is there any way I could get one or import my car without it? Any ideas would be greatly appreciated. See, there's this rule, and it's 25 years. <laughs> well, which is, um, uh... I mean, when when I first moved to the U.S. in 1990, uh, you know, I had my GMC S15, which was a Canadian one, and I went to you know the Secretary of State's office here in, in Michigan, and just, you know, I registered it. Yeah, you know, I got. Um, you know, I got a Michigan driver's license, you know, swapped my Canadian driver, Ontario driver's license for Michigan license and registered my S15 and it was no issue at all. Um, so I'm, I think if you, if you have title to it, like if you, if you title it in Canada first, so if, if your mom, you know, will sign it over to you and you can get a Canadian title first. You know, I, I can't guarantee this is going to work um, and then bring it in. Um, and it may depend on what state you're in. Like if you're in California, uh, they may, some states may be stricter about this. Um, you know, maybe if you uh, try to register it in Michigan, <laughs> they may be pretty lax about it. Uh, so, you know, I would, you know, reach out to your, your local state DMV and ask them you know what's actually required um you know and perhaps if you have the canadian title to it first then it might be easier but no guarantees i Um, kind of researched this buying a car in mexico uh (laughs) and then bringing it back and it was um essentially just felt at first they talked about the 25 year rule you know where you can mm-hmm. import you know cars after they've been on the market for 25 years and then everyone's just like well you can drive it around for like a year then you got to take it back you got to re-register it 
and you can bring it back up and then you can take it back. Yeah, it's it, it became it's a lot of like I had to have a house in Mexico, which, you know, I can just put, you know, a family member's house in Mexico. But it was um, it was a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, my guess is California is probably going to be the strictest about this. Yeah. Um, you know, so depending on what state you're in, it may be a little easier. Um, but, uh, yeah, check with your state DMV, uh, see what they say. Um, you know, from Toyota's perspective, I, I don't think that they care so much about Americans buying Canadian trims. Cause I, I doubt that they're substantially different. Um, but you know, for emissions purposes, you know, if it hasn't, you know, there may be slightly different calibrations on the Canadian ones. So they may, even though they may have the same hardware, it may, it may be that you just need to do get a software update for it. Oh, maybe, um, you know, and then do an emissions test on it. Uh, maybe as simple as that, because I doubt that there's anything substantially different from a hardware perspective between the Canadian version and the, the U S version. Um, and so perhaps with a software update and a, an emissions test, that might be all you need. Um, so yeah, check with your state and see what they say. Or, yeah. you know, just park it at your mom's house until, uh, what, uh, 2043. Or you just drive it around. <laughs> just, <laughs> just drive around in the Canadian car. Who's going to bother the, you? Leave the Canadian license plate on it. Yeah. yeah. Who's going to bother you, to be honest? Like, is there going to be like that one cop in town who's like a hard nose who's going to, I mean, you're going to have to just keep registering it in Canada. That's your, I guess your mom's address, but who cares? <laughs> that was my thing about buying the, the vehicle out of Mexico. And I'm like, no one's going to care if I have, I'm driving around this car with like, you know, Mexican plates on it. No one cares. That's not a thing they care about. They don't even know how to write the ticket. They're like, oh man, what what's this ticket for? It's registered where it's from. And so any DMV enforcement officials, Robbie's address is it? <laughs> yeah, no one cares. Go go after Robbie. I um no, I mean chances are you could you could probably do that and you know probably nothing will happen. Just leave the Canadian plate on it. Um, my my advice is never uh, should be should be taken for any sort of uh, advice yeah. that anyone should take. Yeah, no, neither neither of us are uh, are lawyers. Uh do not take our advice as as you know, legal advice. Yeah. So so like my no one cares will not hold up in a court of law. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> but sure. The, Robbie on the Wilbury podcast said no one cares. <laughs> judge is like, I care. I'm the one judge yeah, in this you, whole if country. You, if, you, if you play if you play this recording for your uh, for your judge, <laughs> I'm sure he will let you off the hook and say it was well. If well, Robbie said it was okay, Robbie said it's okay. No one cares. Who cares? Yeah. Okay, it's a Prius. It's not you know you're not driving around in a yeah. I mean, it's, not, it's, not like, it's not like you're polluting anyway, even with a yeah. Canadian Prius. You're not driving around in a 19. It's not like powered by coal. <laughs> it's a Prius. All right, and on that note, uh, let's call it a show. Um, uh, after we're uh, done here, stick around. I've got an interview I did with Steve Center, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Kia America and Executive Vice President. And we talked about uh, what Kia is doing. You know, talked about the EV9, the EV3, and EV4 concepts. Uh, how things are going uh, with EVs uh, and Kia and, and just the Kia in general. Uh, so 
enjoy that conversation and uh don't forget yeah uh the holidays are coming up still get your uh um your wheel bearings merch at shop.wheelbearings.media we got t-shirts uh sweatshirts hoodies all kinds of stuff with a couple of different designs uh phone cases and uh if you are uh one of our patreon supporters um i check your email uh there's a discount code in there uh so you can get uh, 10% off your your order from cotton bureau we we're doing these uh doing all this merch through cotton bureau uh, they do really nice quality stuff, quality, quality t-shirts, quality screen printing. Um, and, uh, hope you, uh, enjoy it. So, you know, get, get some for your favorite auto enthusiast, uh, or just for yourself. If you like that. It's a black Friday sale, which black Friday seems to last for months now. Yeah. <laughs> black Friday only lasts from, uh, the day after Thanksgiving until the day before Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only day that doesn't count is actual it's, Thanksgiving. It's day. Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. It's Sam. Um, Got another interview from the 2023 LA Auto Show, uh, this time with Steve Center, who is the Chief Operating Officer and Executive Vice President of Kia America. Um, Kia showed off a refreshed version of the uh, Sorento, their their midsize uh, crossover, along with uh, the EV9, which is a North American car truck and utility of the year finalist. Uh, and they also showed a couple of new concepts that they showed in Korea previously, but it's the first time they've shown them in North America, which is probably a pretty good indicator that they will be bringing those to market here. Um, that's the EV3 small crossover and the EV4 sedan. Um, so let's listen to uh, my conversation with Steve. Um, all right, so let's talk about Kia. Um, yeah, it, the company, the brand's been on a great run for a while now, um, and uh, I guess starting off today here at the show, we get uh, the EV9 finalist for North American Car Truck of the Year. Uh, you get the um, refresh of the Sorento, and two very interesting concepts here. Um, I guess let's start with EV9. Um, yeah, that to me seems like a, a very important product for the brand as it comes to market. Um, what it's it's a, a new flagship. Yes, if you think about Tony Wright as being a flagship, uh, this is a new flagship. And strategically, you think of Kia as having two lines of cars and covering all the segments that are around the city. Um, internal combustion line, which includes hybrids and plug-in hybrids, and then uh, pure EV line. So what we showed you there is what we're going today in terms of eating three, E4, there's a passenger car, then there's an intrude SUV. EV9 shows, um, again, what the Kia can do in terms of the product, and uh, if had a chance to play with one, I assume, so yeah, I had about 24 hours of one. Yeah, but, it, but it's, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot there. It's phenomenal. I, I spent the weekend with one, and even my snooty friends enjoyed it. And um, it's all there. All the features are there. The performance is there. Uh, the price-value relationship is there as well. And it, it's uh, small V-value in terms of it's not just cheap. It's... Um, you know, the economic formula is utility over price. Mm-hmm. So um, it shows what Kia can do. 
uh, has a range over a 300 miles range. Uh, it starts under 55,000. So uh, it's the biggest segment out there. It's the aspirational segment. And we show with Telluride, we can bring the people to the rim, younger, better educated, wealthier. Eni6 did it again. The trade-ins the dealers are getting are from all over the spectrum with uh, those two cars, and this is going to do even more for us. And to a great extent, we've got uh, Blue Ocean for a while. All right. There's, there's nobody else going to no. either. Yeah, the, the only other three-row utility out there right now is, is the Rivian R1S, which is a considerably higher price point. Yeah, and not much more car yeah. in our mind. So um, I think we're in a good space. It's going to reinforce some British Kia's uh, um, image as being able to hide uh, these types of products that are not uh, uh, average because most of the bark isn't where that other car is, right? Mm -hmm. They combine it. So this corn bill class car. Do you think EV9 is going to, at least in the near term, uh, cannibalize some Telluride sales or is it, do you? Foresee it being mostly accretive sales. Right, that's a good question. I think um, maybe not cannibalize, but um, maybe uh, we'll roll there where Telluride will slower Probably. in its spaces. We've increased Telluride, I think, originally from the seventy thousand. What was the original number? I don't know. Uh, we're at one twenty. Yeah. Uh, now, when we're kind of production team we uh this for this year we increase the capacity of the factory um, and we're investing in west Point georgia to build the eb9 there also so what uh, to some extent we don't know how high we could go because we only built till right here and we've only created so much production space so the additional production would be eb9 and that's it but i don't think we'll cannibalize it because you're starting to see there's an EV buyer and there's a mushroom buyer for a lot of different reasons. Uh, driving habits or personal sentences and so on. How, you know, you, you've got the, the EV6, you've had the EV6 in the market for, you know, what, year and a half or so now, almost two years. Uh, and you've had the, the Nero for a while as well. Um, how have, how, how would you say the Kia buyers have taken to EVs? Very well. I think it's probably served to uh, work as a uh, retention product. So the uh, Kia buyers that keep for EVs, and we had a Nero, a prior generation Nero, had a need. You would again a small car, left reeves that you can So it's probably kept a lot of our customers. From defecting. Customers that would have gone to that wanted a bigger, yeah, yeah, they wanted something. A bigger car yeah. or bigger or more range and, yeah. and so so as we built out that line you're gonna see a lot of this from the uh, ice line come across and they'll find uh, what they were looking for in there as well. And that'll increase our volume overall because for fights in time but we get a lot of ice sales. Mm -hmm. We're still growing there. Yeah. Uh, with uh, you know, one of the big advantages of the EGMP platform vehicles, the EV6 and now EV9, is that really fast charging capability. Have, 
have you heard from customers, has feedback from customers been that that is an important part of their buying decision? The faster charging cable. Oh, absolutely. Well, if you think about it, uh, that's a, a limiting factor to the road trip, right? So uh, uh, fast charging is important. Super fast charging is super important. Yeah. Uh, uh, clearly, uh, when you're on the go, you don't waste time sitting around. So the faster we can make it, the more of a competitive advantage we will have. Absolutely. One of the, the challenges for particularly for legacy brands um, with selling EVs has been the dealership experience. And uh, I don't want to, you know, if Brad, you may want to talk to that or Steve. No. Um, yeah. The, the, um, the education of the retail staff, you know, getting really getting them on board to actually want to sell EVs. Um, how how's the relationship been with with Kia dealers and and the retail staff when it comes to EVs? Yeah, car dealers are interesting creatures, and sales people are interesting creatures, and uh, they always anyone that's ever sold anything is certainly more comfortable when there's uh, eager demand walking in the door. Uh, if you're trying to convert somebody from a internal combustion car to an EV. It, it may not work. They've, they've got to have the right circumstance. But I think the bigger challenge is getting them to speak a different language. So let's assume we're dealing with a great salesperson to begin with. Uh, they've got to now... I'm sure they're out there somewhere. <laughs> oh, there are professionals out there, I think. Uh, not as many as we would like. Yeah. But uh, there are people that are raised teach families and set their kids to school. To this. But the point that I've tried making is the language is different, and it's taken me until now to get comfortable with it. So you have to start to talk about kilowatts, kilowatt hours. There's fuel efficiency, miles per gallon. There's miles per kilowatt hour. So there's a whole different language that you have to learn. And then there are different uh, feature aspects that you have to learn. So when you look at EV9, and you talk about uh, power exporting and you power your house. With that is, you have to know so much more about things that you never had to know anything about. And just the charging side, right? When you sold a regular car, you didn't have to explain anything to anyone. And if you lived in New Jersey, they didn't even have to know how to pump gas because they pumped the gas yeah. for you. So um, I think that's one of the challenges, but regardless of the EVs or internal combustion cars, the biggest challenge we have is the sales experience with the dealers. And even the good, the, the, the brands that are at the top of the sales experience, uh, this with J.D. Power, are providing a terrible sales experience. And it's for a lot of different reasons. And the circumstances of the last two years didn't help either. So you had all the, you had the lockdown, you had the supply, the, I'll call it the supply chain snafu, and the, all the automakers which were having 120 a days supply of product to zero. So overnight, we turned it to Dell as an industry, right? Someone comes in, they buy a car, then we make the car and we send it, just like the computers. So um, that drove the prices up, and uh, no one likes that. And uh, it also draws the behavior down. And for customers are very disappointed in this. So we are working very hard with our dealers 
And so the war cars, because they're very near and they're very high, easy guide to the example, is we work very hard to reach that MSRP. Don't mark it up any further. If you mark it up, then apparently we underpriced it and then we're going to come mark it up. But you have to get the dealers and the salespeople to think longer term no. than that. So quite frankly, price transparency and the rest of the sales experience is a bigger problem in retail than the salespeople selling EVs. And as we get younger salespeople, they'll be more comfortable with it because they could the stock. Is Kia working with your dealer network to help with training? And yeah, very hard. We've got all kinds of training that we're putting out there. Um, we're uh, also doing uh, process training. We're making uh, technological changes where dealer, uh, customers can make deposits online at our website through a dealer. Um, selling, we're not selling direct. So that forces some of the price transparency because you're not going to make a deposit if you don't know what the ask price is. So I, I think in the end, technology is probably the great equalizer in this case, and it's by forcing the clean up their act ahead. So um, today you also showed two concepts um, that I think have also been previously shown in Korea. Um, are are those vehicles, are, can we expect to see vehicles like that in U.S. Kia dealerships in the not-too-distant future? You might just vehicles like that for sure. Okay. Those two, Gordo's album be born, you know. Yeah. But we're, we're here to gather feed pack also. But if you look at the EV3, uh, in my mind, given the initial interest in EV, the idea from a styling direction, that's a dope rate. And uh, we it's, uh, have more demand for cell toast that would fill it in kind of a seller market segment. So I think uh, that one's sort of a little reader. And the passenger car also, when you look at the styling set, some of our styling direction as a sibling, um, that's a rather striking the small sedan. Yeah. And, you know, Kia, despite some other brands, you know, running away from sedans, you know, still has sedans. Those sedans are a lot of uh, but here's a kind of an interesting little factoid. So you mentioned the EGMP platform before. So part of that's electrical architecture, and part of it's just the physical layout. So you have a flat floor. So normally in a car the size of the EV3, the back would be crowded. You wouldn't have a lot of footroom. Kind of rid of the world to appear into it because the floor is flat, and that's because of the EV architecture. Okay. Whereas if you look at a Seltos, uh, or an internal combustion car in the back seat. There's always a lot coming on the other tile. And yeah, um, other stamping features. So because the floor is flat, you can have pedestal seats. Uh, you can have storage up to the back seat. There's all kinds of things. And that, that's a little. That's smaller than the K5 was, right? Yes, yeah. the the EV4. Oh yeah. 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 But uh, the interior space. They be there, right? Because you, you you don't you don't have to package it. It was a traditional yeah. powertrain. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's really exciting from an auto to side and packaging snap going on right now. What you can do, okay. And you know, Kia, you know, as a brand, you know, has always been known for providing good value. You know, and and, and as you said earlier, you know, not cheap but good value. Um, and uh, you know, it would be interesting to have products like that in, in the lineup, you know, as you as try to grow EV sales, you know, you, 
you can't just have everything at the high end of the, the spectrum. Oh, the, the, the volume is in the middle of it. So on a, as I said before, we're going to have an electric line and we're going to have an internal combustion line. And in the near term, we're going to have two lines. Mm. And uh, I don't know when or if the ice cores will ever entirely go away. I think uh, government's saying that. But I personally take that as aspirational. You know, there's going to be a cowboy in Wyoming that sold needs his diesel pickup. Yeah. And uh, that cowboy should have that diesel pickup, and that cowboy's on the problem. Yeah. Great. Um, so, um, what else we haven't talked about around Kia should uh, people be thinking about? Well, I, I think generally the, uh, the brand Renaissance Chevron. Um, uh, we had. Reimaged ourselves. The dealers are being reimaged. Um, it's a whole new company. Um, the energy had uh, in the end, you're defined by your product and your experience. And the uh, Kia has uh, done it and is doing it on the product side. And we're going to one of the experience and for the dealers that's not working a brand also. Yeah. Oh, that that, that relies on the other thing I wanted to ask you about was um, charging. Um, Kia was one of the companies that's joining this joint venture yeah. to develop a charging network. How, how important do you think it is for automakers to get more directly involved like that in developing the charging infrastructure, given that you know for 130 years they've stayed away from the fueling infrastructure side of the business? You didn't need to. Um, I think um, at this moment it's important because uh, there isn't a lot of leadership in the infrastructure space. The government's putting money out there. There's plenty of money in private industry for anything that will make money. But this uh, electric business is quite different than anything else because upstream you have the utilities and they're highly regulated. So you'd think that a wise of the power company just going to this everywhere. They're not allowed. And so this is uh, we're kind of fighting in the ring with two arms tight behind our backs. So at this moment in time, it's important for manufacturers to throw in. It's kind of a damn shame that they have to. Mm -hmm. uh, going forward, I think we'll reach a certain critical mass of EVs in market. So there will be the UIOs to create the demand and it'll start to happen faster. Um, one of the first things that happened that's encouraging is we're getting away from two or three charging pop standards. Yeah. Right. Otherwise, it'll be like Euro. Yeah. You know, and that, that's not happening. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's, it could make, you know, getting directly involved and making sure the charging experience for customers is great is, is a key part of providing a great customer ownership experience. For Absolutely. There's, I mean, there's, there's two parts of the experience. It's the vehicle, product, and then ownership. The ownership includes the dealers and the service, but it also includes just the, the use case. And then charging is the most critical but right now because uh, cars are out there, but you don't have the charging infrastructure that's adequate. And the regulations are driving the production on the cars, but um, there's a leadership on the infrastructure side. What about uh, other revenue streams like subscriptions of various sorts? Is that something that you see is something that is going to become an important part of Kia's business in the future? Uh, all forms of revenue in this business going forward will be important. Uh, especially when you consider that uh, EVs may last a while longer or maybe kept on the road longer through reconditioning and battery uh, 
repairs. So we're going to have to look for different revenue streams. But also, it's, uh, it's a different product. So an electric car is uh, quite techy. Remember. And uh, quite techy customer wants different things than maybe different business opportunities within the car, the automakers. And with the new connected car navigation OS, uh, yeah, you've got opportunities there to provide yeah. new features over time. Right. So the, you've got the uh, physical car. You've got the electric powertrain side, these things you can sell related to that. And then there's the, uh, and used to call it Fontaine, but it's much bigger than that. Yeah. That's a, still a huge under, um, uh, under-conquered opportunity. What, what do you think may be the best opportunity, like uh, best types of things that people might be willing to pay for? Things like maybe driver assist features, you know, like yeah. hands-free driving capabilities. Yeah, like there's elsewhere. It's you know, it, it may if you think about it, it might really disintermediate the old notion of bottle trims. Uh-huh. Because while some of what's in a bottle trim may be physical, where you have uh, relaxation seats in an EB9 with a footrest, you may not put that in a lower trim. But in terms of lots of the other features, the uh, electrical aspects, like uh, the performance, the power curve, over other things, you can probably sell it. Has it always the long option? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. You're it was always Steve. It was helpful. Yeah, it was. Great, okay. great conversation. Will I see you in New York, maybe? Um, for uh, the New York show? Sorry, yeah. Oh, uh, almost certainly. Yeah. Okay, good. Certainly hope so. Good. So. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.